Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You're listening to the Eyes on Isles podcast with Matt O'Leary and Mitch Anderson. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Isles podcast, episode number 87. What's going on? I'm Matt O'Leary with Mitch Anderson. Mitch, how are you doing today? Uh, fantastic. I don't even care what happened at work. It wasn't even a great day for me at work today. Nothing terrible happened. It just uh, it was work. Um, but I got to wear my Islanders jersey. I didn't get to. I chose to wear my Islanders jersey to and from work. To work, no one really paid attention, it seemed. No one really saw the big bright blue and orange. Uh, but on the way back, honks and high fives from everybody. I think maybe because the sun was out, everyone was feeling nice and nice and fun. Very nice. So that kind of fits the Canadian stereotype, right? That everyone's friendly with each other and honks and waves at strangers going by? Well, no, no. We could be pretty rude sometimes. <laughs> um, screw you and your maple syrup, eh? Burr, burr. <laughs> um but no, it was it was everyone was happy for some reason. So that's great. I loved it. It was a good day. Awesome. Yes. The talk at the radio station today was all about those New York Islanders and I absolutely loved every second of it, Mitch. And also, I think it's pretty ironic that this is our 87th episode <laughs> after they just swept Sidney Crosby, who wears 87, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. I didn't even look to see if there was an 87. I'm pretty sure there isn't. And I don't care if there is, whoever it happens to be. Uh, it's no one that important. Um, I just want to make it the Sidney Crosby edition because mm, right up in the kisser, buddy. Right up in there. You keep going mouthing off to those referees. But, but, but they tripped me. Oh, oh they tripped What a jerk. <laughs> yes, so isn't it fitting that it's episode number 87 for this? So let's focus on the series. This is what this podcast is going to be about. Last week, we previewed this series. We recorded on Tuesday because the series obviously started one week ago. It's crazy that game one was already a week ago. That flew by. I know, right? Um, So this is going to serve as the series recap. So we've broken it up into different segments to talk about on the series. And the first thing we have on the list to talk about is what in the hell got into Jordan Everly, Mitch? Uh, he got bit by the, the this bug. 
Uh, it's a uh, from South America. It, it it only comes up through uh, New York once a year, and it's called Confidence. And it bit him right on the behind because uh, it came out of nowhere, right? Like he had he had been playing okay. He'd been playing well at the end of the season, right? Um, I think he had like four or five points in the last couple of games. He had five points in his last five games or six. Sorry. One, two, three, four, five. Sorry, five in his last five because he scored three points against the Winnipeg Jets. Remember when they came back right yes. at the end? Yep. And then he got a goal against Buffalo and Toronto and then nothing against the last two games. So he was riding a bit of a hot streak uh, coming into the playoffs that he did not let up. You know, right into that first game, he scored within a minute and 40 seconds. Boom, back of the net. Islanders up one nothing, And that's that's what gave him that shot for the rest of the playoffs, I think. Oh, yeah, I agree 100%. And... Listen, we did on the post-game podcast, we talked about game one, obviously, and every single game, but there was a goal that was taken back. Tom Kunakal, it appeared that he scored. And when I was at the game, and I was worried that it would kind of take a little bit of, of the momentum away, but that couldn't be any farther from the truth because, what was it, a minute and change later, they scored. And I think that was a huge goal for Jordan Eberle. Not only did it set the tone for himself, but for the entire team on this in the series for being You're so resilient right um and for those who who may not know we have a patreon podcast as well where we break down every single new york islanders game regular season and playoffs so if you're looking for post-game content within a max an hour after uh the podcast that the, the game is done we're recording that podcast and we're putting it up there on patreon it's five bucks a month it's worth every penny and even when there are no games we're recording extra stuff uh, but you're absolutely right. That first goal really set the tone for him and the rest of the team. And that goal really kind of came out of nowhere. Maybe not nowhere. The Islanders were forechecking the Penguins, which is what they did the entire series. They didn't give them any space to breathe. They're right on them. Puck is worked to the point, and Adam Pellick tosses it towards the net. It comes off of Anders Lee, and it falls right into Jordan Eberle, who's alone. The two defensemen are pushing up. They've pushed up, and they're far away from Matt Murray, not realizing that Jordan Eberle is now behind them. And he's got the puck all alone, and he buries it through five hole. And that's that's that was it. That's what he needed. That sparked that kind of something to get him going. That win, and he never looked back. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because he, well, obviously, as we know, everyone watched it. He would go on and score a goal in games two, three, and four as the Islanders would go on for the sweep. So goal in each game. And we're going to get into later on in the show who our three stars of the series were. And I think it's pretty obvious he's going to make it on this list, whether it's one or two, that's up for debate. But he was a huge reason for the Islanders' success in this series. Because, Mitch, what was the biggest issue with this team going into the playoffs? It was scoring goals. But they, yeah. they were able to do that in this series in large part to guys like Jordan Eberle stepping up, Brock Nelson stepping up, and even Josh Bailey, too. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they, they didn't have offense coming into it, but they ranked 21st in terms of total goal. I may have the, the rankings a little mixed up. I didn't, I didn't look it up, obviously. Um, but they're ranked, I believe, 21st in, in, in the NHL for total goals four, and they're ranked 24th in terms of goals per game. Uh it, it, that might be flipped. It, it, it's pretty... I, I know it's 21st and 24th. I'm just not sure which one is which. Um, below either average way, both. Yeah, exactly. Either way, not above average, below average, not good. And they came in here and they scored four in the first. They scored three in the second and, and four and three again. 
Yeah. Yes. 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 That's that's a lot of goals, and and they had they held the Pittsburgh Penguins to six, six across the entire series. So we, we we know their defensive prowess, but you're absolutely right. Coming into their one weakness was scoring goals, and they didn't seem to have a problem scoring goals. The best part about that goal scoring is that it was timely. It was in response, right? They started off the series on the front foot. Tom Kuhnhagel, bing, wrist shot over the shoulder in. Called back for offside because Matt Martin was going the other way and not interfering in play whatsoever. But you know what? That's not off. That's not what story for another day. <laughs> yeah, but then right away, Jordan Eberle responds saying, "No, we're not going to let this kill us. We're going to. We're staying in this." Pittsburgh comes back and scores. Brock Nelson's back on it. Evgeny Malkin scores. Nick Letty's right on it. They just they every time the Pittsburgh Penguins had an answer or had something, the New York Islanders are right back on it, scoring another goal of their own. Uh, and and that, that's what you want to see. It's not just like we did happen to score. It's that we're almost scoring right away. Like You want to say something? Sit down. Know your role. Yeah, exactly. And that was the theme really all series long was because anytime Pittsburgh would get a lead, it seemed like instantaneously the Islanders would go the other way and score. Yeah, 100%. And, and so it, it plays into the idea that scoring wasn't there. But scoring showed up. I, I know that this what we're, we're, we're trying to talk about here is specifically Jordan Eberle. But the fact that he has one goal across every single game, he's definitely the leader in terms of that offense. And to me, the reason for that is because of his confidence. And There's no bigger testament to that than I believe it was his last goal in, in game four where he's going behind the net and he's got the stick up. He's got the stick up already Three. behind the net. And he's kind of like telling Ryan Pulak at the point saying, yo, hit it over here. I got an open look. And he did exactly that. And poof, he hit it in. Uh, that was game three. But I didn't yeah. know exactly. Because game You're four right. was the uh, two on one rush with Barzell. You're right. Yeah. Where but, he opened up. Mm, God, that was but so from an absolute nasty angle from Jordan oh, yeah. Everly. Like a how does that go in kind of angle. And, you know, he... He and you were you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned this originally when it when it happened. That showed that he was back, that he was confident because, like you said, then Jordan Everly in January isn't doing that. He is not no. calling for the puck in that situation, but he knew that hey, give me the puck and I am going to score, and he did just that. Yeah, he wouldn't do that in January. You wouldn't see him like lift that stick up and know I'm going to get a chance here and I'm going to not only just get a shot on net, I'm going to score. And he did exactly that. And he did that a few times in the series where he's just he's in this position and he just buries it. Like he he, he I think his second goal in the series, he just walked up from the half wall and just wristed it far side on, on Matt Murray. And you're going, what? <laughs> where did that come from? Where yeah. was that all year? Yeah, it's crazy that, and yes, we know that scoring is streaky. We've talked about that a whole lot, but when this guy gets going at the perfect time, which we hit on in you know during the regular season towards the end when he started to get hot, we said if we signed up for half of a great year from Jordan Eberle, you sign up for the second half going into the playoffs every single time. So the thing, we, yeah, ab- yes, absolutely, uh, I one hundred percent agree, and I was already trying to make a different point, but. <laughs> Yes, you're absolutely right. The one thing that, that, that sticks in my mind is that the Islanders hit 103 points this season with a Jordan Eberle that wasn't there for like three months. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I never really <laughs> thought of it that way, but let's be real here. They got <laughs> they essentially had 103 points with 
struggles from Jordan Everly and Anthony Beauvillier, who both spent significant time in the top six. Yeah, absolutely. They, they put up, what, 65 points or, or, or maybe 70 points combined? Jordan Everly had 37 and, and 28, whatever that is. Yeah, I can't do math that quickly. Uh, 37, that's 57 plus 8, that's 65, is it not? Sounds right. Again, plus I'm, 37. Not a mathematician, yes, Mitch. 65. And Jordan Eberle had how many points last year? 59, 50, didn't he? Yeah, 59. <laughs> Between the two of them, they almost had as much as Jordan Eberle had last year. So that just goes to show the struggles they had offensively with, with those two guys in the top six. And then round out your top six with someone like Tom Kuhnhockel or Andrew Ladd whenever he was healthy for like mm-hmm. two minutes. That was the top six. Ugh, and barring two forwards and Josh Bailey and Andrews yeah. Lee, I guess. Um, so, yeah, the Islanders didn't have a great top six, and they still managed 103 points. Sorry, they didn't have a great top six. They didn't have a great producing top six, and that's what they got in the playoffs. And to me, that's that's what stands out the most, is that their top six was there, and they were producing in in the playoffs. Like As much as we want to talk about Jordan Everlay, you mentioned it before, but Brock Nelson had himself one heck of a series Josh Bailey came up clutch for the Islanders again. Uh, just great. And Matthew Barzell's got five points in four games. He didn't yeah. score, but you know what? He's not a scorer. He's not, well, he's, he'll, he'll put up 20 goals, but he's not a 40 or he's not a 30 goal scorer. He's a 20 goal scorer, 40 to 60 assist guy. Yeah, and that's completely fine. That's That's his style of play, and it works for him. He's very good at what he does. But the point I think that you're trying to make is, while yes, in the regular season, they were relying on their fourth and third lines to provide offense, they still did to an extent in this series, but they were also getting it more consistently from their top six, which made it look like a more cohesive unit. Yeah, they didn't have to rely on Casey Zizekas popping in a goal every other game or every fourth game. Right. Like they and- did during the regular season. So like that, they didn't need to because they had their top lines rolling. Or it's not rolling, but scoring. And he had his own role, which we'll get to later on oh, in yeah. the show. 100% we will talk about him, don't you worry. But I think that's the thing that I wanted to hit on, too, is that everyone had their role. And when Jordan Eberle was brought in here originally, his role was to be a goal scorer and someone to put up you know, 25 goals and 60 points. And he looked like that kind of player in this series. Yeah, he he showed up. He was exactly what we wanted him to be during the regular season, albeit smaller sample size, but on a more important stage. And that's that's exactly what you want. Uh, do we want to talk extension necessarily, or do we want to say that for another show? I had this in mind, so I think we could just answer it quick. We don't have to get uh, too much into it. So did his play in this series convince you that he deserves another contract with the Islanders? Uh, my heart says yes, but my mind says Maybe. I'm going like, to go yes. I, okay. Like, I, I want to because I want to reward this type of production and, and this type of behavior um, because this is exactly what we want. But my mind also goes, yeah, but he only scored 37 points this year. And if, if I'm signing him for four years at $7 million or six and a half, you're like, oh. Although if I'm only giving him another half a million dollars, whatever, he, he should be a 50-point player. He should be. I'm just... Recency bias. 
it's unfair recency bias and it's selective recency bias because I've only chosen to look at the regular season and, and not just the playoffs. Right. So I I am looking more at the playoffs and what he's done. I think he is a big part of this offensive scoring that they're going through right now. But you can convince me to keep Jordan Eberle in the mix too. If he's going to come at, at most at $7 million and... I somehow I have like brands Brandon Stark or Brand Stark like powers and I could figure out what's going to happen in the future although that's contested if you can see in the future um and I know that he's going to give me at least 50 points every year yeah I sign up for that for sure but then I'm just oh god I'm hesitant I get it I absolutely yeah. get it but we are absolutely satisfied with Jordan yeah. Eberle's production and speaking of someone else who we are satisfied with and I'd even go as far as say more than satisfied with is Robin Leonard. Oh. I mean, during the regular season, we know the numbers. 930 save percentage, 213 goals against average. Just unbelievable stuff there. And then he goes, hang on, hold my beer. I'm going to be even better in the playoffs. No beer. No beer. He's no sober, beer. Matt. Sorry, that was... I didn't mean it like that. It's just an expression. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, unbelievable stuff out of him. So he had... A 956 save percentage and a 147 goals against average. How does that happen? Oh, oh man. Uh, well, they continue doing what they were doing in the regular season, right? They they keep the Penguins to the outside. And when they come inside, they don't give them an open look. They put traffic in front of them and they clog up the middle and they try to make their life miserable and they did it. Uh, and so whenever they do get a shot, it's contested. It's not an open look. Uh, and they they try to make it as difficult as possible for them. And then Robin Leonard is just in a in he's a we've we said it since the beginning of the season. He's not a guy who's gonna Jonathan Quick wow you with like incredibly acrobatic saves. It's not that he's not acrobatic. It's that his game is more about uh, shot blocking than shot stopping. And by that I mean he's more of a positionally sound goalie where I'm gonna get in the way of the shot rather than try to get into try to intercept that shot. Uh, it's, a, it's a big difference in terms of mobility, uh, and, and which isn't something that he has uh, compared to other goalies. And he showed that in this series uh, where he, when he was in his position, you weren't getting anything by him. And that's exactly what happened. The Islanders allowed him to be in position the entire time. And the only times the Penguins scored, or most of the time, they had an open look, right? Like Phil Kessel's first goal in, in this series was because Casey Zekas fell over in the neutral zone opening up the slot because not a single New York Islander realized maybe I should collapse in the slot. And then Jake Gensel's goal in game number four, four. yeah, was wide open as well. He had four Islanders playing the puck along the boards and it worked out to, to Jake Gensel in the neutral zone. Or sorry, the neutral zone into the slot. Wide open look. He rifled it past them because he had time and space and the Islanders made sure the Penguins didn't have either. Yeah, and even like the Goodbranson goal was kind of fluky. Yeah. And there's another one that was deflected in that was kind of fluky so for the majority of it he was stopping everything because he was so positionally sound and putting himself in such good spots in order to be in a position to stop the puck and he did nearly every single time yeah I'm I'm quite quite frankly I'm surprised that the Penguins didn't do more to try to get under his skin it's like they okay. respected they respected him too much you think so well, there's there's the what, how many times do you think or can you remember the penguins like charging the crease or getting in his face or, or you know trying to poke his pad you know that the, the, the typical shenanigans you see in the playoffs. 
I guess really only in game four when Gensel and him were going at it a little bit. But you mean Hornquist? Or Hornquist, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only time. Game four, it's too late by then. You're already 3-0 down. You have a 2% chance of seeing this through. <laughs> Good yeah. luck. And they're down 2-1 in the game at that point, too. Exactly. It's way too late for this. We started doing that to, to Malkin in game two. And even then, you can maybe even argue in game one, we went right after uh, Malkin. But in game two is when we stepped it up yeah. because we realized in game one, oh, man, this guy could this be is had. working. Yeah, it's working. Good. Yeah, I think that's the perfect explanation, actually. They gave Malkin the business a little bit in game one. I think he took one penalty, but then he took multiple in game two. And you're like, I am absolutely going to take the Leo Komarov in the box just to get Evgeny Malkin in the box switch. Oh, yeah. A hundred times. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much on that. Yeah. One hell one one hundred percent. So, But with Robin Leonard, like, they didn't try to get him off his game. I don't feel like they did enough. Maybe they tried, and the Islanders just were better defensively, clearly, uh, and it just didn't work. But you've got to create movement for Robin Leonard. They didn't do a lot on the power play either. Like For a team that was the fifth best power play in the NHL in the regular season, they really had a hard time getting things going on the power play. They were 1 for 11 on the power play in this series. Awful. That's Islanders' numbers. It is. But specifically on Leonard, did you expect anything else really at this point? I didn't expect it to be this good. I I, I don't know. I just feel like anytime he goes out, you know he's going to give up one or maybe two goals and that's it. That has to be terrifying to other teams, right? And any other team has to look at this and go, oh my God, we have to score three to maybe win this game. Well, and even then the Penguins scored three in game one and still didn't win. Well, think about it. When the Islanders score three goals or more this year, they've only lost four times. Wow. And two wow. of them were in overtime. Two, only two regulation losses. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's Look, right. Brian, Brian Compton had the stat. I think it was like, it's like 32, two and two or something like crazy like that. Absolutely wild. When they score three. Oh. Yeah, I want to so, yeah, go the back team, and find they, it. So that means any other team that faces them has to score four. And you saw that throughout the playoffs, right? Like, the Islanders scored a minimum of three goals in every game. And the only game they almost lost, the Penguins scored three goals. Like, you have to score four to beat the Islanders at, the, at this moment. Pretty and much, luck, right? What team in the Eastern Conference can do that? Maybe Toronto? But they haven't had very good success against the Islanders in the regular season maybe Washington. And even then, the Washington Capitals have had a hard time with the Islanders. They've split their series uh, with the Islanders this season 2-2. Two to two. So, no one. Tampa would have been the only team, and Tampa got spanked like the Penguins, even worse than the Penguins. Yeah, Tampa, and to me, Boston still kind of scares me just because they don't really... The Islanders just seem to can't match up against them. Well, it's just Boston plays a better Islanders game. They just have better players, right? Like, when you play the type of game... The Islanders have, or the Islanders play, and your top line center is, um, God, why can't I think of his name? I Patrice can see his Bergeron. face. Petrus Bergeron, thank you very much. Um, good luck. Like, the guy just controls the puck. He's got a magnet for the puck on his stick. It's just how it works. Yeah. And then you got Brad Marchand putting up 100 points. Who the hell saw that coming? Brad Marchand scoring 100 points. Jesus. Point. Um, but, but on Robin Leonard... I, yeah, you're right. Like, 
I'm stumbling over my words because I, I, I can't, I, I don't know what else to say about this guy. We said it for 82 games in the regular, maybe not 82 games, but 43, I think he played. 43 games in the regular season going, this guy's a brick wall and he's doing it again in the playoffs. So I found the tweet, Mitch. I was way off. Okay. But in an even better way. Oh. They're, they are 41-2-2 two and two when they score three goals or more. Holy Jesus. Wow. That's 41, 2, and 2. So that is a what win percentage? 41 out of 44 is a 931. They win 93% of the time when they score three goals or more. That's a winning formula. Yeah, absolutely. That's a winning formula. The only problem is they don't always score three goals, right? Like we saw during the regular season, specifically at the end of March there. But they're having a trouble scoring. Maybe yes. mid March, end of March. That that was that was tough. Um, but it's rolling right now, and, and they're not reliant on one person. They're reliant on goals come from everywhere, right? Brock Nelson and Jordan Everly might have the most, but you're seeing goals from Komarov, Philpola, Bovillier. The fourth line hasn't scored yet, but the fourth line has done way more than 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 Craig goals. Yeah. So yeah, I'm fine with that, and then they will. The next series, watch Casey Zekas put in at least one. Yeah, you would think that's coming eventually, right? Yeah. Like, uh, was it MS, uh, NBC had a stat where it was the fourth line, and I'm using air quotes here, had the second highest five-on-five minutes for the team, right, of that all four sense. lines. Yeah. And that, that makes sense when you think about it. We, we, we do the post-game podcast after every game, and Cal Clutterbuck leads the team in ice time. Yeah, it certainly seemed that way at the end of the year. <laughs> well, it was, right? Like, he had two or three games where he's getting 17 minutes of ice time. Cal Clutterbuck. Yeah. Impressive. Wild. So yeah. as as we talk Leonard and talk him up, we have to talk about the other people who were involved in this. So I pose the question, how did the Islanders shut down the Penn's top scorers? Because I want to read off some numbers for you, Mitch. Yep. Evgeny Malkin had three points. Yep. Sidney Crosby had one. Mm-hmm. Jake Gensel had one. Yep. Phil Kessel had one, and Patrick Hornquist had one. If I told you that was going to happen before the series started, there's no way you believe me, right? In four games? Like, yeah. across four games? No. God, no. City Crosby is at, like, a point-plus per game against the Islanders in his career. Yeah, and he just put up 100 points in the regular season. Yeah. Like, you would expect him to do something, and he put up one point, and it was an assist on that Jake Gensel goal, and it was the only goal the Penguins scored in Game 4. It took him four games to get a point. <laughs> if I told you that Sidney Crosby was going to be a quarter of a point per game player in this series, there's no way. Unbelievable. Okay, so then how? How did they do it? To me, I want to give a lot of credit, and it's a, to a bunch of players, but this one guy in particular, Casey Sezikis, really had a phenomenal series. Not that he put up a ton of offense, but defensively, he dominated Crosby for most of the series in the faceoff circle. And just overall, he was really good. Outside of falling down in the neutral zone in game one. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, perfection after that. Yeah. You can see the difference, right, in terms of the faceoff, like you mentioned, the faceoffs. When the Islanders were at home and they could match up um, uh, Casey Zekas against Sidney Crosby, Crosby was like 38% of the faceoffs. But when the, the series switched to PP&G, whatever stupid name that is, uh, when they switched to that PPG paint arena, Crosby's back up to 60% because they can keep him away from Casey Zekas. 
They they kept Sidney Crosby away from Casey Zizekas. That's how scared they were. They were scared of Casey Zizekas. The second best player, and to some, the best player in the world, was scared of Casey Zizekas. I, I had to take a pause for a second there, just to, to let that statement sink in for a second, because you're right. And I know saying scared is maybe a little bit of a, uh, of a stretch, but they were <laughs> saying, like saying that. that it's a bad matchup for the best player or second best player in the entire league. It's a bad matchup to go up against Casey Zekas. That says a lot. Yeah, it says a whole lot. And and you're right. He didn't put up a lot of offense, but I don't care. I don't care. He kept, again, we've said it a billion times already, the second best player in the league to one point across four games. Wild. Keep that up. Get him up against Backstrom next series or whoever comes out of Carolina. Who's the Carolina center that we need to worry about? Sebastian Ajo? Is he a center or is he a winger? Right? I don't, I don't, I don't know. even know. I don't even know. That's how good That's they bad. are. Well, Which is not. Carolina, they have talent. Come on. Don't I'm not like saying that. they don't have talent. I'm just saying they're not great. They're not as good as the Islanders. Islanders have 103 points this year. Do the Carolina Hurricanes have more? No, but I don't want you to do the voodoo jinx thing again. Okay, fine. Whatever. It's not saying that I think that they could destroy the the Carolina Hurricanes, because I don't think they could. But I think that they could could play anyone. Again, they're co-favorites to win the Stanley Cup at 6-1 odds. Or plus 550 right now. Sebastian Ajo and Jordan Stahl down the middle. Sebastian Ajo scares me for sure. That's a that's a really good player. Jordan Stahl, that's a way that that's a, a depreciating asset. Then it's depreciating quick. <laughs> but they have Mister Playoff Justin Williams on that second line with Stahl too. No, they have Justin Williams on that line too. Yeah, sure, whatever. I don't really... Justin Williams, again, does not scare me that much. Uh, but we're not here to, to convince me whether Carolina is a good team or not because I, I, I think that they're they're fine. Their goaltending is awful, um, so whatever. <laughs> All to say, Casey Zekas could match up against anyone and win that matchup. Anyone. Put him up against anyone. Try Connor McDavid. Let's see if that works. If the only player in the world is Connor McDavid... Uh, that is, that can best cases Zekas, then we need to re-sign him with a higher contract value like right now because he deserves it. Yeah. It, it won't happen because I'd rather keep him at a $3.35 million deal, but just I'm just saying I would go that far. That's absolutely right. And he was a big part of it. And the penalty kill too. We talked a little bit about it in the last segment, but they killed 10 out of 11 penalties. And Pittsburgh, they can roll out Crosby, Malkin, Getzel, and Kessel all on one power play unit, and, and Latang, and yeah. whoever else you want in there too. Well, that that's just it, right? And they kept them quiet. One power play goal, they got one, and wasn't that in game two? I'm not. I'm gonna say, or was that in game mm-hmm. one? It was in game one. Malkin, that's right. Malkin scored from the faceoff circle. Yeah. That's it. That's all they did. So for the next three games, they got nothing. To be fair, the Islanders only got one power play goal as well. Uh, but the the Islanders' power play was dog poop during the regular season. Yeah, we, we um, knew that going in. But, like, what did they do different? Like, what did they do? We know what, what ended up happening, but what, what happened to get us there? 
It's just they kept playing that system. That's worked all year. To me, it seems like they were when it came to the defensive zone that they had, they had matchups, um, and and they stuck to them. Like if the forward went to even to the blue line, that defenseman was on him. Like there's a couple of clips you can see of Ryan Pulak chasing Malkin all the way up to the blue line, and the second he lets go of the puck, that's when Mal, that's when Pulak is going back to the defensive zone or defensive zone closer to his goalie. Mm-hmm. But if he touches that puck again, he's on him. He's right on him. Uh, Devontae's right that play against Sidney Crosby in game three three I'm going to yeah. say uh, chases him around the ice until um, uh, Crosby goes oh god I slipped oh no penalty what I'm going to jab you in the ear with my tongue to get you to call a penalty for the next four years referee <laughs> as a disgusting visual uh, yeah. I'm sorry yeah, thanks thanks for that appreciate it bud you're welcome it just, it just came out. That was, that was verbal diarrhea right there. <laughs> Again, a nice visual. Awesome stuff. But <laughs> the the Islanders did a phenomenal job of shutting down the Penguins' top scorers, and that's one of the main reasons why they're able to sweep in this series. Yes, 100%. All right, so with that, let's get into our three stars of the series. Who do you got for your number one star? I don't want to say the same one as you because it doesn't make for great podcasting, but I think I'm going to have to go with Robin Leonard, and I know you're going to go the same way. Yes. It's just what he was able to do was incredible. Uh, not so much just you know his save percentage at a 956, uh, but it's also just on that on that power play. Your your best penalty killer, or sorry, on the power play on the Penguins power play, your best penalty killer has to be the goalie, and he was exactly that. Right, specifically in Game Four when they had a, a few chances and they were knocking at the door, he stood tall, just right up along the post, right down below the ice, did everything he needed to do to get in the way of that stupid puck, and he did it well, made it look easy. Just to add to what you said, because you did a really good job. How I thought of it was, who was the best player on the ice for the Islanders in this series? And to me, the answer is Robin Leonard because he did it game in and game out, and he did it all year long continues to be one of the biggest pieces for why the Islanders are where they are. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, he's just, he he was the better player on the ice for the Islanders. Easily. Well, maybe not easily, but he's the best player by a smidge, I would say. Right. And then I think we're probably going to agree for the second one too, but go ahead. It's Jordan Eberle. It has to be. Four goals, four games, and again, one goal in every game. Two points in the first game, two points in the second game, like just rejuvenated. He, he had two points in 13 playoff games. He now has six and four. <laughs> incredible. Yeah, that's wow. When you put it like that, that really puts it into perspective. But I'm agreeing with you. It's got to be Eberly for me, too, with the four goals each, you know, one in each game. Timely goals, too. Big momentum stuff. He's showing the confidence, and hopefully that continues for the Islanders in their next series. Going to have to wait a little bit, though. Yeah, and also that connection that he's got with Matthew Barzal again. Like they're they're linking up. They're uh, what's the, not telepathic at this point, but like my God, they're on the same wavelength yeah. again. That that goal in game four was it the two on one mm-hmm. where he turns to open up on the two on one with Barzal that was just like I, I relived 2017-18 in my head all over again yeah that was phenomenal that was a really nice that was a good play and obviously Barzal hit him with the pass and Everly made no mistake mm, just beautiful stuff absolutely beautiful 
All right, how about a third star for you? Okay, this is, I think, where we're going to differ a little bit. Um, but I'm going with Ryan Pulak. Okay. Interesting. Why Pulak? Just, he, he didn't put up a ton of points. I think he got two points on the series. Um, obviously, that one with from on uh, for Jordan Eberle's goal. But it's just he sh- the, the shutdown that he's done, the minutes he plays, the offense he brings. He does everything, absolutely everything in industrious quantities. They rely so heavily on him in every situation. Just he's perfect. He's exactly what the Islanders need going forward. And he signed for $2 million this year next. <laughs> <laughs> That's great value. He's going to be their number one defenseman for $2 million. Yes, good value. And Lou Lamarillo is going to have to figure something out on a contract extension after that. But they're getting some nice value this year and next year. Uh, you are right. I am going with someone different. And I had a few people in mind. I thought, that I want to give it a Brock Nelson? Do mm-hmm. I want to give it a Josh Bailey? I decided I want to keep both of those honorable mentions. And instead, I'm going okay. to give it to Casey Sezikis for his defensive play in this mm-hmm. series and for how much he took Sidney Crosby out of the series. Yeah. Not an easy thing to do. Again, the second best player in the world, or best if you're a Penguins fan, obviously, um, just gone. Just he was Thanos snapping his fingers, and Sidney Crosby disappeared. Mister Sark, I'm not feeling so good. <laughs> oh, uh, oh Mister Referee, put me back together again. I, I make fun of him. He's a fantastic player, and I would love to have him on my team, obviously. But man, he's whiny. God, he's such a whiny little baby, and I've got two of them. <laughs> yes, you don't need a third, Mitch. No, I don't. I'm glad he's off my TV set for a while now. Yes, for at least the remainder of this playoff. So uh, with that, do you want to get into the social stuff? Yes, let's do that. Okay, what do you got for us? Uh, I want to bring us back to, let me get the date right, April 6th, 2019 at 9.57 p.m. A tweet comes out from at Chase P. Williams. He's uh, a correspondent for WPXI in in Pittsburgh. And he says... The Penguins are going to destroy. I say that that way because it's all caps. The Islanders in five games. So that tweet did not age well at all. Uh, The Islanders didn't necessarily destroy the Penguins, um, but they swept them. So that's four games to what his five he thought he'd get going the other way. Um, But man, that like I know you got to come out bold and strong and confident, but destroy. Come on, the Islanders were the better team going into the playoffs to begin with. What made you think in any way that they would destroy them? Because they're a better playoff team? These guys are tired, man. They're tired. They've, they've Again, all credit to them. They've, they've won two Stanley Cups in the last three years, and they've gone to two rounds in the last three years. That's a lot of hockey. They're tired, man. And they're not young players either. Crosby's 30, Malkin's 31. They're not young. They're tired. Give them credit. Like they, they they played relatively well, but the Islanders were just a better team. Just a better team. Yeah, they were. The better team won the series, and they proved. And again, I didn't think it would be in four games, but the fact that so many people were confident that it was going to be a five-game series and it was going to be over quick and that it was going to be the Penguins' side, it's just funny because that shows that they knew absolutely nothing about this Islanders team. Yeah. Uh, I have two more things, but I I, I want to at least let you get a voice in before I, I, I lay out other ones. Okay. One of my favorites from this past week, and I'm going to date back to when the playoff series started, but MSG tweeted out a video, 
and it was after the game one game winning goal from Josh Bailey of the entire crowd singing the Josh Bailey song. Mm. And to me, that was really poetic because for a long time, Josh Bailey was public enemy number one for Islanders fans. And then for everyone to come together now and be singing his praises is a wild glow up. Yeah, <laughs> it's a huge glow up. I understand what that means now. I could say it. I taught you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, like he was public enemy number. If it wasn't him, it was Brock Nelson. But it was it was typically um, Josh Bailey. I know when we started doing not just the podcast, but writing for the site, and we were writing things about Josh Bailey, it was just hate, 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 hate. Just constant hate. This guy's terrible. He's never going to do anything. Uh, and t- to be fair, it took him a while, but he's here. And oh my God, is he amazing? Yeah, it's working now. Yeah. Um, okay, I got one more. Again, we always go Twitter heavy just because we spend most of our time on Twitter when it comes to social media. Uh, we also spend a lot of time, I do at least on Facebook, because, uh, you know, just that's what happens when you have kids. You're always on Facebook. So I won't bore you with, you know, memes my mom sent me with the minions on it. <laughs> um, but here's one from today, or sorry, yesterday at 10.31 a.m. And it's Andrew Gross quoting Penguins coach Mike Sullivan. Penguins coach Mike Sullivan after getting swept by the aisles. It was a lot closer than the optics. So, like, it was a lot closer than it seems. No, it wasn't. No. <laughs> no. They were not the better team in any of those games. Like, game one was the closest, obviously, but the Islanders were the better team that night. They deserved to win. Yeah, and they're the better team on most nights. Maybe you can say the Penguins could have won the first one. Sure, yeah, it went to overtime. You could absolutely say that. But could they have won every other one? No. 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 Maybe they were good in a, in a couple of... Pen- like, the second period, the Islanders were not good for most, most of the series. Mm. But they've been like that the entire year. You know, there's only a few games where they're really good in the second, but then they're missing out on another period. So best case scenario, it'd be 3-1 right now for Pittsburgh. And that's absolute yeah. best case scenario. Yeah, it'd probably be over tomorrow. Right, because you don't you think the Islanders going back to the Coliseum are going to lose up 3-1? I would find that really hard to believe. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Uh, do you have another one? Because I've got one more. Um, Kind of. Okay. I'll explain. Yes. Um, all of Ryan Lambert's Twitter mm. feed. You beat me to it. Go for okay. it. Okay. Well, just his. Just check it out because I I can't just pick out just one. Do you have just one that you're yes. going to share? Okay, it was so the, the you, one from today. All right. So hit it. So he had, again re- recency bias, but like who wants to relive what we just talked about? Um. So he has a mailbag that he does um on on Yahoo. I think he this is for the Yahoo mailbag and not for the Puck Soup podcast mailbag. Uh, either way. And someone asks him, what whole steady song best res- represents each playoff team? You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to uh, that lasagna song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, I do not accept any questions like this, but the Islanders are chill out tent, whatever the heck that is, because b- they're both the worst, but people inexplicably think they're good. Hold up a second here. How are we like, still riding the train that they're not good? What else do they have to do? 103 <laughs> points. Sweep the Penguins in the first round. Like, what? Is this team going to be like lifting the Stanley Cup trophy and he's still going to be sitting here saying that the team isn't arguing that the team's bad? Like, what will it have to take for them to have like an expected goal differential better than 
they have right now, I guess. I, I don't know. He, he So he replied to me because I said, Jesus Christ, just say you don't get it. It's fine not to understand something or if some uh, something just doesn't fit the narrative you think should be playing out. And what I mean by that is, look, it's perfectly fine to say they shouldn't be good. All the numbers that I have and that I trust tell me this team should not be good. And he'd have an absolute point there. He'd, he'd be 100% correct. Um, but then to say, so I don't get why they're winning. They're good because... Winning equals good. I don't know why they're good. That, that there's nothing wrong in saying that because then you cover your bases as I trust the numbers still. Uh, they shouldn't be this good, but here they are. And you do the responsible thing and say like, I'm not going to go after this fan base for no particular reason outside of the fact that I have a narrative to fulfill. Look, we get it. We get it. You're a numbers guy and, and you trust the numbers a lot. And that's that's fine. I, I, I like the numbers as well and I want to believe them. But when I see wins, I go... Man, those numbers aren't telling you what you're looking for. And maybe maybe there's more numbers or there's something else we have to be looking at. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And what bothered me, too, is that when an Islander fan called him out and tried to like say, like, why won't you admit that, that you're wrong, kind of, he did the, oh, let's make it uh, the political thing and tweeted out the heat map from 2016 of the vote, the voting. Like, well, come on. Like, this is, we're going to say that, if you can't can't admit that the Islanders are good, fine, but then don't double down on it and try and make this a political thing with because that just just came completely out of left field and I don't get that at all. To to be fair, he was specifically with that that he's talking about the nastiness of people coming at at him and, and even Dom God, I can't pronounce his I'm sorry Dom, I can't pronounce his last name. Although to be fair, they don't do themselves any favors when they tweet stuff out like this and you're going, "Well, you're kind of sowing the seed you're trying to eliminate by being as, you know, douchey as the people you're, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. You're being as douchey as the people you're decrying. Like, oh, people are being really mean to me, but I'm going to be really mean to them too. Like, okay, like, great. You're just doing tit for tat at this point. What's like, why, why would you do that? So it just, it's Twitter. That's what it is. That, that's perfectly fine. I, I'm just, I'm excited to read his mailbag tomorrow. He said he'd have 400 words on this to, to show me why he does get it. Not just me, but everyone. Uh, but he said that to me. Um, why he gets it. I, I don't think he does. And, and I think he believes when I said get it, we're st- I'm still referring to the Tavares thing, which I'm not. What I'm referring to specifically is it's fine if the numbers don't work or if the numbers you're seeing shouldn't equal winning, but it does and you can't reconcile that. That's perfectly fine. That's okay. Because that just means that the numbers aren't telling you what you're looking for. Maybe we need to find other numbers. Or there's just no numbers to tell us what's happening because or, it's not about numbers sometimes. Or what if there's multiple ways a hockey team could be good? Yes, there's that too. That's entirely, that's entirely possible. <laughs> it doesn't have to be this one formula. What yeah. they're doing right now is working. And you can't deny it because, like we just said, they swept the freaking Pittsburgh Penguins who won two out of the last three Stanley Cups. Yeah. So, like, don't necessarily – I'm not. we're not trying to suggest to go after no, Ryan Lambert. No, no. What what I think is let's let's hear what he's got to say. Obviously, let let's hear it out. Let's see what he's got to say. I don't think we're going to like it. He even alluded to that. Um, but but I think it, it's not like he makes a bad point. Again, he wrote something at the beginning of the year saying that the Islanders weren't necessarily good. What he's trying to say and just not doing it well, I I I would say is that he's what he's arguing is that the numbers don't show this is a good team, and that's true. That's there there's. There's no way you can argue against that. You can't say that the numbers say this team is good. 
But at a certain point, you have to say, like, the numbers aren't equating what I'm seeing in the wins column. And there's a disconnect here. And how do we reconcile that? Yeah, he's got to use some external factors and stuff like that, which he's not doing at all. Yeah, so I get it. You have to have a strong voice and a strong opinion in the world of sports writing. And maybe I don't have the strongest voices and opinions. It just seems kind of like, you know, digging yourself into a trench that you don't need to be digging yourself into. Well, that's his issue. Our issue is worrying about who we're going to be playing in the next round. Yes. It's going to be either the Washington Capitals or the Carolina Hurricanes. So we will be waiting on this series to end. Can I get your thoughts, because we still have time here, mm-hmm. uh, on the Alex Ovechkin-Andrei Svechnikov fight? Where do you stand on not just fighting, because I, I, it's not that argument's already done and dusted, but where do you stand on is Mal- it's Malkin? I'm looking at a gif of Malkin here. Is Ovechkin to blame or not? No. I don't, okay. blame, I don't blame Ovechkin at all. I think that if it doesn't matter if, if that, that kid wanted to fight, what are you going to do? Just say, No. Like, no, it's a playoff game. You're going to go after it. No, I, I 100% agree. I, I don't understand people who are going, oh, he he, sh- he was a 19-year-old. He should have just not fought him, or he shouldn't have gone as hard. No, he asked him. He, If you look at the replay, he says, are you sure you want to do this? And Svechnikov says yes, and he goes, all right. And it's Ovechkin. Ovechkin doesn't do anything half-assed. He doesn't say, like, I'm, I might score a goal or I might try to score a goal here. He says, I'm going to try to shoot this puck through the through the glass um, to score a goal. I will go through you to score this goal. That's what's made him elite. And he did that to Sveshnikov's face. And that's why I respect him. I have a lot more respect. I mean, Sidney Crosby's great. But Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin, way different kind of players and personalities. I always leaned on the Ovechkin side. Yeah, did it suck playing against him in the playoffs? And did I hate his guts in that series? I did. But I really respect how he plays the game. And I don't think he did anything necessarily dirty. Like you said, he he was like, are you sure you want to go? And then when he said, when the kids said game on, then obviously that's it. That's the end of it. That's hockey. I'm not saying that I want them to be fighting all the time, but like, Look, if, if you're going to come at me and you're, you're Svechnikov, I'm not going to go like, well, I do have 40 pounds on you and I've been doing this a lot longer than you have. Uh, I'm probably going to destroy you uh, or at least that's how I'm going to approach it. I'm not going to think about that and go like, mm, maybe we shouldn't do this. No, it's going to be, you sure? All right, here we go. And guess what? I'm putting you to sleep, bud. Yeah. And- I personally wouldn't do that. Look at these spaghetti arms. They're not putting anyone no, to sleep. But like let's like equate it to real life for a second. If a guy who happens to be forty pounds lighter than you and smaller than you is starting to pick a fight with you, what are you gonna do? Not fight the person because you know you're gonna win? That doesn't make any sense. No, of course not. It's you sure you want to do this, bud? Yep. All right. Boof. Sorry. Yeah. He's a big boy. He can make his own decisions. So he yeah, made the wrong so- decision, obviously, but yeah. not Hopefully well, he's all right. Part. Yeah. Ugh, God, that didn't look good when his his head hit the ice. Oof, that did not look good. No, not at all. Um, so with that, like I said, we are waiting on the winner, so we have a little bit of time before the next series starts, and probably a good thing for the Islanders who got a little bit banged up in Game Four with Eberly leaving. He came back though, but still obviously a little banged up. And Clutterbuck and Boychuk left the game as well. So hopefully this time off can help them heal up and they'll gear up for round number two. 
We are waiting on that, but we'll keep you updated on the podcast. So make sure to subscribe to our Patreon as well. If you haven't already, we will give you post-game content. We will give you mailbags. And during this off period of waiting, we will give you other content. And over the summer, we'll give you exciting content and stuff like that too. So just for a little bit extra, if you like this show, then you can get even more of us on the Patreon. And that's patreon.com slash eyes on aisles. You could also follow us on social media at eyes on aisles FS on Twitter. My personal Twitter is at Matt O'Leary and why Mitch's is T L O Mitch. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash eyes on aisles. You can download our app available on iPhone and Android, the eyes on aisles app. You can get your push notifications sent anytime an article is published. Or, as always, you can visit the website, eyesonisles.com, for all your New York Islanders needs. Mitch, episode number 87 in the books. Round one in the books. Oh, boy, is it fun to be an Islanders fan right now. In the books, on the golf course with Sidney Crosby. There you go. What a perfect way to end episode number 87. That'll do it for us. Once again, I'm Matt O'Leary. He's Mitch Anderson. We'll talk to you next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.